Hey everyone, this is Caleb, and I'm so honored that you have decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me on the Learner's Corner podcast. Today, I am joined by returning guest, Brian McLaren, and we're going to talk about his uh, brand new book called Do I Stay Christian? A Guide for the Doubters, the Disappointed, and the disillusioned. However, if this happens to be your first time listening to the Learner's Corner podcast, I want to let you know about three uh, really core values that drive a lot of what we do here on the podcast. The first is this, is that we want to create a safe place to have difficult conversations. And, you know, as uh, as you probably picked up, if this is your first time, uh, from the title of Brian's book, that we love doing that. We love engaging in difficult conversations or, um, or conversations that are not easy to have because it's in those conversations to where we grow. It's through having those conversations that leads to um, it's in some cases, a change of perspective. And in other cases, it, uh, it reinforces our beliefs because we, uh, ended up thinking through or, uh, or owning our belief for ourselves. The second one is this, is that we truly believe that we can learn from anyone and from everyone, regardless of whether or not we agree with them 100%, that everyone has something to teach us. And sometimes that's through a positive example. And sometimes that is through a, uh, through an example of what not to do. And the last one is that we truly believe that we can learn from anything and from everything, regardless of whatever subject it is, because everything has something to teach us. And, you know, as I mentioned today, we're going to learn with and learn from Brian McLaren. Brian's been on uh, the podcast before we, uh, And I'll link to the show notes for his previous episode where we talked with him um, about doubt and how do you deal with doubt and faith. And our conversation gets a little bit uh, into that as well. Um, But yeah, and so we're going to talk about uh, faith today. We're going to talk about uh, deconstruction, reconstruction, and a lot of other good uh, things as well. And so if you've been listening for a while and you have someone that you would love us to talk with on the podcast or a subject that you would love to hear about on the podcast, reach out to me at learnerscornerpodcast at gmail.com. Or if you just are super excited about something that you're learning with or learning from or learning about, um, hit me up and I would love uh, to hear from you. That's the best way to get in contact with me is learnerscornerpodcast at gmail.com. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Brian and then we'll jump into the conversation. Brian is a former college English teacher and was a pastor for 24 years. Now he's an author, activist, public theologian, and frequent guest lecturer for gatherings in the United States and internationally. His work has been covered in Time Magazine, Newsweek, USA Today, The New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, and many other media outlets. He is the author of more than 15 books, including... Faith After Doubt, and the award-winning A New Kind of Christian. He is a faculty member at the Living School at the Center for Action and Contemplation and currently lives in Florida and is the author of the most recent book, Do I Stay Christian? And without any further wait, here is our conversation. Well, Brian, it's good to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. Great to be back with you, Caleb. Yeah, and just as we're getting started, you know, uh, one of the things that I wanted to uh, ask you 
uh, and that I love asking people from time to time is I would just love to hear from you is uh, what has captured your attention or curiosity or imagination right now? Oh my goodness. Well, I should say uh, I'm just getting back from vacation. I was away on vacation last week and I got to spend five days fly fishing in, uh, in the Bighorn River in Montana, which is one of my passions. And I just had such a wonderful time. And then um, the day I was supposed to come home, I got really sick. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't COVID. I just got an old-fashioned stomach bug. And so I feel like what's been capturing my imagination is how to, <laughs> how to get back on my feet after feeling like I, uh, I, I got beat up for a couple of days. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I suppose if there's something I've been curious about, I, I, for some reason, a couple of weeks ago, I re remembered that about 100 years ago, the... Uh, the prohibition, the era of prohibition was going on. And I became interested in how prohibition a hundred years ago is like certain things that are happening today. So I started doing a bunch of research on the, on the prohibition era and it was sort of depressing and kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can you, can you say a little bit more about that? Or kind of like what stood out to you or what are you learning about that? Well, one of the things that was really interesting to me is for decades, there was this or organizing among Christians to outlaw alcohol, to have a constitutional amendment to outlaw alcohol, with the idea that if we could just outlaw alcohol, we would be a godly nation. What was sort of striking is that these are mostly white Christians. They didn't organize to outlaw lynching. They didn't organize to end segregation. They were totally comfortable with white supremacy. Um, it's just alcohol that got on their nerves. And, and it makes me think about so many things that are happening today where religious people get obsessed with certain things and seem completely okay with, with other things. So uh, yeah, that, that, and then one of the other things that I hadn't known is that there was a racist dimension to, uh, to prohibition because white Protestants, Methodists, Baptists, Pentecostals, were okay with giving up alcohol, but they knew the Irish Catholics and the Italian Catholics wouldn't. And so this was a way to sort of suppress the Irish and, uh, and uh, Italian Catholics. And one of the unintended consequences of prohibition was that it ended up facilitating organized crime. Organized crime really exploded during the prohibition years because there was a big market for contraband uh, substances. And it ended up creating this weird, weird unintended consequence. And I think that's something we always have to pay attention to today. How are we creating unintended consequences? Yeah. Uh, and, and you mentioned that, you know, it's causing you to reflect a little bit about today. How, how is it making you think about in terms of, you know, how things are today? Well, uh, obviously, in the headlines in recent days has been the likelihood that Roe versus Wade is going to be overturned and how how uh, religious people have been organizing for decades, just as they were with prohibition, to try to make this happen and how it involved getting control of the government to, in order to make certain things happen. In their case, it was more the legislative branch and, and with, now it's more the uh, the judicial branch, but, um, 
and what's kind of interesting is that just as they ended up empowering criminal elements uh, by creating the, the uh, uh, 14th Amendment, uh, what seems to be happening in recent years is that a lot of the religious organizing has empowered certain kind of criminal elements today, like, you know, the fact that Donald Trump was able to get away with just about anything he wanted to do, and nobody has successfully held him accountable. And um, people like Paul Manafort and Steve Bannon and Roger Stone seem to just do criminal things with impunity. So they're just, to me, a whole bunch mm -hmm. of interesting interesting parallels yeah and uh you know i i think that's a good segue to your book as well yeah. which which is uh you know called uh do i stay christian and in in the book um you just have you have this line and i would love for you just to even elaborate it even more is that you say uh how do i stay christian i've been wrestling with that question in every single book i have ever written <laughs> yes Yes. Yeah, for me, it started really early because when I was in elementary school, I loved science. I was, I loved dinosaurs and I loved rocks and minerals and I loved stars and trees and plants and reptiles and birds and amphibians. And all, I just went to the library. My mother was very gracious and would take me to the library. I would get a huge pile of books. I read all the books on science in the children's section. Then I went to the, you know, uh, youth section. I read all those. Then I, I started checking out college textbooks because I my hunger for knowledge was so great. And evolution was just very interesting and and seemed obvious to me by what I because of my interest in science. And then when I found out in church that we weren't allowed to believe in evolution. And I remember just thinking, that's kind of silly. So I I just something clicked in my mind. I thought you know, I'll be 18 before too long and I'll be out of this religion. So really at a very early age, I, yeah, there was a lot that made me think I, this, I wasn't going to make it. I ended up having this very powerful spiritual experience in my teenage years. I ended up becoming a pastor, but even in my years as a pastor, I just feel, I always have felt there are things wrong with the way I I've never felt I, I've, I've always felt even more enthralled with Jesus and Jesus' life and message and teaching. That wasn't the problem, but it was the baggage that went along with it. And that's, yeah. And, and what's happened in recent years is I feel like more and more people have been having, you know, the, this sort of buzzword deconstruction is lots and lots of people saying, I'm not sure the way I was, I, I was told this is the only way to understand it. Mm, yeah. And, and like what I, and again, you can, you know, push back on, on this too, but what it almost made me think of whenever you wrote that quote is like your, your books are almost like your, your own wrestling with yeah. the, the very information that, uh, that coincides or intersects with your faith. And it's almost yes. like, how, how do I reconcile this with my faith in Jesus? Yes. yes. I, I just had a really interesting experience, Caleb. About a hundred years ago, a famous preacher, in fact, he was on the cover of Time magazine. Uh, uh, in fact, exactly a hundred years ago this month, his name was Harry Emerson Fosdick, and he preached a sermon called the Shall the Fundamentalists Win? Uh, 
because fundamentalism had just kind of declared itself. And I think it was 2019, uh, in 1919 or so. And they identified five fundamentals of the faith that all Christians must adhere to. And they were launching a purge to get people kicked out of their denominations unless they would affirm these five uh, fundamentals. So uh, I was asked to preach a sermon on the, uh, on the 100th anniversary of, uh, of that sermon. And um, one of the things that Harry Emerson Fosdick said in that sermon, which anybody can read if they just go online, shall the fundamentalists win? It, it's really quite a uh, well-written sermon. He said, here's how he said it a hundred years ago. He said, some people are able to take their faith and put it in one compartment and then take what they learn about the world, about the cosmos, the galaxy, the planets, you know, biology, and they're able to put that in another, uh, in another category, and they're able to keep them separate so that one doesn't disturb the other. He said, but some people can't do that. They, what they learn affects their faith and their faith affects what they learn. And they're the ones who uh, are, are struggling and cannot identify as fundamentalists. And uh, the, uh, that to me is a really good diagnosis of the, of the challenge. Yeah. And, and you mentioned, uh, you know, talking about deconstruction, I, I would just love your thoughts on um, like, and again, it seems like, especially for the past several months, even, you know, the last six months or so deconstruction has been talked about a lot. Um, I, I would be curious because I haven't heard a lot of people talk about this so much. I'd be curious on like deconstruction as part of the faith, but I haven't heard a lot of like, how do you, how do you reconstruct? Like, yes. how do you like go into like new areas of faith or build up something new. And I would just love your thoughts on how do you go about doing that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a really great question, Caleb. And uh, I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'm not recommending this. This is a, uh, a confession, right? Yeah. But a huge part of my faith was always trying to rush deconstruction in the sense that, Oh no, I'm losing this doctrine. I got to fix it real quick. I've got to unscrew my old biblical inerrancy module, but as soon as possible, I have to have, you know, limited inerrancy and screw it back in. In other words, for a lot of people, reconstruction means how do I fix this thing with as little damage to the system as possible? Yeah. Um, and then of course I find out, oh shoot, this eschatology module is also a problem. And <laughs> oh no, this is a problem too. And so I think what a lot of people, when they're talking about reconstruction, it's very uh, like, I totally identify with this because this is how I felt. I don't want to have to live with an imperfect system. So I've got to fix it as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. Now what I feel, and I don't, this, I, I know this won't help people uh, in, in one sense, but what I feel now is we inherited a faith that people had spent hundreds and hundreds of years modifying. Mm -hmm. And, and I might discover this module is a problem, you might discover that module, somebody else is discovering another module, that's a problem for them. We shouldn't assume we're going to something that took, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years to mess up, <laughs> or to modify that we're going to fix it all overnight. And so what I would say reconstruction is, is not trying to fix the structure, uh, but it's learning how to hold our faith in a different way. So for example, one way I've said it in my writings is that 
uh, I was taught that Christianity is at the very heart, a system of beliefs, a systematic theology, a set of propositions, the five fundamentals or whatever, a, sy a system of beliefs. And for a lot of people, then it means, oh, I'm having trouble with my beliefs. Let me reconstruct my beliefs. No, I think what real reconstruction is, is where you say, maybe Christian faith was never intended to be a system of beliefs. Maybe it was intended to be a way of life. So if I'm if I, ex if I become super energized about fixing my beliefs, I'm farther away from the discovery that I might really need to make. So that, to me, that's, the, that's why that word reconstruction is, is a little hard to define because I, I think a lot of us discover, you know what, more is going on than we were even aware of, <laughs> than we're aware of at any given moment. Yeah. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does, and it even it even made me think of um, just how tied together deconstruction and reconstruction can be, yes. because it makes me think of you know deconstruction. You know, you typically you you know you discover something and it forces you to rethink something, or yes. you discover a gap in something. Yes, and to me, like almost, I guess the reconstruction it made me think about while you were talking about it is oh, there's a gap, or oh, yes. I need to rethink something, and so. Yes. I need to look at, okay, what, what are, what are the things that could go in this gap or what are the things that, what are the alternative approaches to that thing um, that I need to rethink? You know, I had a bit of an advantage in all of this uh, in one sense. I, I studied, I got a graduate degree in literature. And when I was studying literature in the 1970s, what we now call postmodern philosophy was really first coming into the American Academy and it was largely coming through English departments through literary criticism, how, how we read and interpret texts. And, uh, and when you sort of go back and understand what people were grappling with in the 1960s and 70s, and it, it began with a, a number of French philosophers and other European philosophers, and then some American philosophers picked it up. Um, uh, one of the one of the American philosophers who really grappled with this, he was a, a Catholic philosopher named Jack Caputo, who became a friend. And I just love Jack. He's a great, great guy. Retired now, but just a great guy. And Jack had been a close kind of scholarly confidant of Jacques Derrida, one of the really important French deconstructionists, he was often called. And here's what Jack said. Jack said, deconstruction is not destruction. Deconstruction is love. When you, when you meet, when you encounter something and you become intrigued with it, you care about it enough to learn the story of how it came to be. And when you learn that there's a story of how it came to be, um, then you understand it wasn't always what it is right now. Yeah. It, it, it developed. And the deconstruction is to go back and try to in, in a sense, put it in rewind and say, oh, it's like this now, but before it was like this and before that it was like this. And what happens when you deconstruct something is you realize that the form it's in now isn't the only form it needs to be in. It yeah. could change into something else. And it, in that way, it loves something enough to learn the story of its past and also to imagine that it could have a different story of the future. Isn't that a beautiful way to say it? And I oh, think it's accurate. Yeah. It's really accurate. 
Oh yeah, that's such a great way of of thinking about it. Um, you know, I I want to talk a little bit uh, a little bit more about the book, and you know, you you have you you structure it in such a way which I had not anticipated. Uh, whenever I opened the book, and you know, it's called "Do I Stay Christian?" and you have a section that says no, and you have a section that says yes, and a section that says how. Uh, yeah. And you know, just as we're getting started with that, I I would love to hear from you. Um, is what is uh what is one of the most difficult reasons for you to stay Christian? Yeah, well, the ten I, I have ten uh, no chapters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, just so people know, these aren't. I didn't set these up like uh, I, I set these up and then say, but they're not that big a deal. No, these yeah. are all really a, a big deal. Oh yeah. Deal. Um, I would say, um, I mean. Each one of them, I, I, as I wrote, I felt like this reason alone is a good enough reason for if a person wants to leave Christianity, this reason is reason enough, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, um, they're, they, they are all very serious uh, reasons for leaving. Yep. But if I were to pick one that, uh, as I was writing, I think I felt it more deeply I mean, the first one, uh, because Christianity has been vicious to its mother, is the problem of anti-Semitism. That's one that I just can't shake because in my own life, I I was unaware of the Christian history of anti-Semitism. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, as a Protestant, when things happen before the Reformation, it's easy to say, oh, it was just those bad Catholics. But guess what? Martin Luther was one of the most vicious anti-Semites, and Protestants have practiced anti-Semitism and in literally in 2022, there is a resurgence of anti-Semitism among vicious white Christian nationalist Protestants. So, um, I mean, that's really, really a live one. Five or eight years ago, I started learning more about the colonial era. And so um, chapter uh, three talks about because of Christianity's high global death toll and life toll through what I call crusader colonialism, where I propose that we could see the crusades and the colonial period as a kind of one long descent into violence that really I don't think we've really acknowledged yet. Um, but I would say if I were to pick one today, it would be because of the white Christian old boys network, the power of white patriarchy. Um, I, I say that, you know, Hugh and I are white guys and, and realizing how this religion has been dominated by privileged white men who have theological justification for maintaining the, all of the levers of power. It, it's, it's pretty depressing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even what you were just saying for multiple of those reasons, it makes me think of back what we were talking about with deconstruction as yes. well, because you discover yes. that um, like through, through the history of our faith, that it isn't how it was, how it is today. Yes. And it's yes. very different than that, which can, and sometimes it was worse. <laughs> sometimes sometimes yes. it was bad too. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh. Um, one one thing that I wanted to uh, to ask you about, as it pertains to do you, do you stay Christian, is um, which which I feel like is another thing, and it and it goes into deconstruction as well. Um, but church hurt, like people who have yes. been hurt in the church, yes. and I I would just love like just kind of your thoughts just around that of like as churches how 
how can, you know, we or how can leaders in the church go about um, doing that? And for the person who has, who has been hurt uh, yeah. in the church and maybe, maybe the church is not um, repentant or not, not acknowledging anything yeah. that has been done wrong. Well, Caleb, that's a live issue. As we both know, there's been this big expose on Hillsong, maybe the largest church, the largest single church, you know, uh, uh, sort of network or empire in the world today. And one story comes out and then another and then another. It's kind of a me too sort of situation. And, um, and so we're having to acknowledge hurt. Uh, just today, there was, uh, you know, this headline about uh, a commission has now brought out new data about the number of children who are killed in Christian boarding schools, Catholic and Protestant, uh, Native American children who are killed in Christian boarding schools. Um, and so you realize this hurt is not, it's not a minor problem. It's a pretty far reaching problem. And then you think all the kids who were molested by Catholic priests and uh, oh my gosh, it just, you start to feel it, it's not like, yeah, this is not a minor issue. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then what almost makes it worse is that you find out that people, once they knew about this, instead of going to the authorities, they covered it up because they wanted to protect the church's reputation. So then now the church even seems more concerned about its reputation than about the people that it's damaged. So this thing of church hurt is a really big deal. And it's, it's part of that white Christian old boys network uh, that is about protecting. We protect our fellow white men who are running this thing. Right. So mm -hmm. it's uh, it, it's, it's, it's ugly. And that's why when I wrote the book, I, I didn't, I couldn't in good conscience, write a book to say, here are the 10 reasons you should stay Christian. Yeah. Um, I feel like, some people need to leave this religion before it destroys them. Um, it's already done everything short of destroying them and, and they need to get away. And when they leave in an interesting way, the church has to see we lost another one. That's another sign that we have some work to do. So, uh, so this, I think this is why we're at a, a reckoning time. We, it, it's just like our country. It's, you know, in some ways, the George Floyd, the fact that, that every American saw George Floyd being killed by a police officer with his knee on his neck and, and watch that this went on minute after minute after minute. This wasn't a, a momentary lapse of judgment. This was an intentional and sustained thing you you realize that the christian religion now people are seeing it and and the pain has to be acknowledged yeah mm -hmm. uh, i i there's I, I don't know wh where else we could go from there except to say it's time for a reckoning as in our country it's time for a reckoning in the christian faith yeah and i and i think that even hits at something and i'm i'm almost positive you say this uh, in the book, which it can be a very tricky thing too, is that there's a difference between, you know, Jesus and yes. Christianity as yes. well in church. And it's, and it's just, um, it's just, it's a very complex thing because yes, Christian, because the church and Christians can reflect Jesus. And yet we are not the, we are not Jesus. 
either. Yes. We let people yes. down. Yes, exactly right. And and I guess this is part of the problem. The Christian religion is such a rich and powerful set of institutions hmm. um, that uh, no matter where you stand with Jesus, you still have to reckon with this huge institution. It's the largest religion in the world. It's the richest religion in the world. Christians have access to by far the most dangerous weapons in the world. And so, um, and, and this is why people like me who stay, and I largely stay because of Jesus, right? Yeah. Um, I, I, that almost adds another level of complexity to it, because what I'm having to acknowledge is that I'm staying to try to be faithful to Jesus in witness against what is so sick in this religion that's supposed to represent him. And, and that's not to write everybody off. There are just so many sweet and wonderful people with no bad intentions at all. And in fact, it's almost what makes elements of the system even worse, that it, mm -hmm. it conscripts people by their support into supporting things. Like when you think about the children who are killed by Catholic and Protestant Indian boarding schools. There were sincere Methodists sending, writing their checks to support a boarding school that they thought was doing good. And there were sincere Catholics who thought they were serving God by sending money to this boarding school, you know? And, mm -hmm. and this is where, I guess that's another reason I wrote the book. Those of us who stay Christian, we've got to become savvy about how can we stay Christian without perpetuating these kinds of wrongs going forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it even just made me think of just the important, and again, like just emphasizing and underlining and bolding the importance of pointing people to Jesus, because even, you know, and we've, we've mentioned some extreme examples in here, but you know, we, we have let people down as well. And yeah. even un unintentionally yeah. as well, we have maybe, yeah. uh, like I, I know for myself, like, especially, you know, years ago, who knows, maybe, maybe in 10 years, I'll go, man, even, you know, today, uh, have said things yeah. that have maybe undermined or hindered people's faith as well. And in fact, that's one of the reasons I think it's a good thing for us to have a sober accounting of our history. Mm -hmm. It's not to beat up those other guys, but it's to have a realization about we human beings. Yeah. And one of the things I say several times in the book, these aren't just Christian problems, they're human problems. And that's not to yeah. let Christianity off the hook, but it's to say all of us who are human are subject to these abuses of power. All of us who are human are subject to these self-deceptions. We're all vulnerable to uh, manipulation by strong men, authoritarians, demagogues, and so on, con artists. And we... And, and what it, I think brings us to, I hope, is a place of humility. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I would love to ask you kind of the inverse then. So I would love to also to hear of what what makes you stare. What is like, what's a reason like top of mind or, or currently that's like this? Is, and, and you mentioned a little bit with Jesus as well. Yeah, but yeah. I would just love for you to elaborate more on like what makes you stay. Yeah, well, those 10 chapters that talk about about how to say yes, even in light of all of the problems in the first 10 chapters, um, obviously, the middle chapter is, is because of our legendary founder. So yeah. that's really central for me. But um, one of the chapters that I think was important for me to write is because Christianity is changing for the worse and for the better. Um, and 
when I say, because Christianity is changing for the worse, I realize that if I leave my footprint, if I leave Christianity and I lose my voice in the Christian community, in a sense, I'm ceding power to people who could do even worse things. Like this is my sincere fear. I think the worst things that the Christian religion has ever done could be done in the next 10 years. Hmm. Um, I mean, we could be responsible for atrocities so great. Um, when you think, for example, Russian Orthodox Christians supporting Vladimir Putin, Putin could press a nuclear button. Um, you know, we've got a lot of uh, Christians in the United States who like Vladimir Putin a lot more than Joe Biden. They like the strongman leader and they could support. I mean, it's it's shocking to think what could be supported. So leaving a religion that's going for the worse seems to me that I take that seriously. But the flip side of that is also true. And I know this to be a fact. These problems that I'm writing about in this book, people have been grappling with these problems for generations, but especially in recent decades. And we're at this point where a gifted new generation of leaders are emerging, people like yourself, Caleb, and, and, uh, and theologians who never were given a voice, uh, people from the Black, Indigenous, and people of color uh, communities, people from the LGBTQ community, uh, women <laughs> who were never really given a serious theological voice, and it, it would just seem to me to be terrible, especially for me as a white male, okay. right as they start to get a voice to say, oh, forget it, the thing's hopeless. Mm -hmm. That's like, what a betrayal that is. And plus, things could really change. Like, I do not doubt that things will get worse in certain sectors of Christianity. But I also do not doubt that some of the greatest heroism will be shown in the coming decades in these renewing sectors of Christianity. And I would hate to miss that. I would hate to mm -hmm. not be part of that. Yeah. Uh, and another reason that you have in there, which uh, seemed very, very counterintuitive uh, to me, but you say staying Christian is a way of leaving the cult of innocence, which, yes. which, uh, like I said, very counterintuitive because I probably would have guessed the opposite. I would just love uh, for you to expand on that. Sure. Well, one of the things that, you know, it's a nice thing for a writer when you learn something and you have breakthroughs as you write a book. And, and one of the breakthroughs for me was having a deeper understanding of the role of shame and, and innocence. Uh, and, and it seems to me when people are subjected to a lot of shame, they want a quick, fast, easy escape from shame into innocence. And one of the ways you can achieve innocence, there, there are a lot of different ways I discuss this kind of mechanism in the book. But one of the ways is by you just disassociate from anything that you think is bad. You cut it off. You have nothing to do with it. I wash my hands of Christianity. I'm done with it forever. It's nothing but bad. Well, the irony of that is that at that moment, I'm, I'm, in a sense, trying to make myself better than Christianity, right? Yeah. Which is true. I don't want to. I don't want to be part of these terrible things that are being done. But what do we call a person who keeps separating himself from anything that is imperfect? Uh, that's 
that's maybe not the best kind of person either. Yeah. And, and so in this quest for innocence, you can lose a kind of moral courage. And, and it, of course, made me think about Jesus in a fresh light, that Jesus doesn't show up and tell us who we should write off or oppose or imprison or torture or cancel. He, he goes and has dinner with the people that he, we think he should stay away from. And in so doing, he gives an, an option to innocence through separation, which is incarnation and solidarity. So that's, yeah, that's the idea. One of the ideas I'm grappling with there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's even a point. I would, I would love your thoughts earlier of just the idea that, um, even the people for, for us as, as Christians of what we were talking about, like the people who caused the hurt, like that is one of the, the tough, like one of the toughest things about Christianity at times is that the very people who have hurt, like Jesus still does not write off that person either. Yes. Yes. And in fact, so, and this is where I don't think there's one size fits all advice and we have to be sensitive here, but someone who's being abused I just want to say to them, get away from your abuser. Yep. You know, get away. But the abuser still exists. Uh, uh, or, or any of us who've encountered systemic racism, we might say that institution has systemic racism. I will have nothing to do with it anymore. Mm-hmm. Guess what? The institution still exists. Yeah. Somebody has to try to help that institution face its systemic racism. And so this realization, the way I talk about it in one of the chapters um, uh, is I say uh, that there is, I I quote Annie Leonard, uh, there is no away. You can't throw anything away, even if you don't like it and you cast it away from you, it's still in reality. And you have to, and, and we have to figure out what to to deal with how to deal with it. And, and this again, I think takes us deeper into the gospel. Oh yeah. It helps us understand why, why Jesus doesn't just write off the tax collector or the Pharisee or, or the sex worker. Mm-hmm. They're, they're part of, they're our brother and sister and we have to learn how to welcome them back into the family as the old prodigal son story tells. Yeah. Well, it even just made me, it made me think of, you know, and we've said it several times throughout here, but we are not Jesus. And so sometimes loving ourselves means boundaries. And, you know, just as you were talking about with um, abuse or, you know, uh, systemic racism or anything like that, um, sometimes we are not meant to be the one to issue the change because it is, it is not, uh, it is not loving ourselves well to go back into that environment as well. So, So well said. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to touch on the how part of it as well. Yes. And you talk about a practice in there and uh, you mentioned it also in faith after doubt that I would love yes. for you to talk about. And it's called uh, include and transcend, which has been yes. very meaningful to me. And I would love uh, just to have you elaborate on that a little bit. Yes. Well, uh, what I do in that chapter, and it really in some ways is a, a recapitulation of my previous book, faith after doubt is I suggest that, part of what's going on when people need to leave Christianity is they're leaving Christianity encoded in a certain stage of development. And what I try to do is I have a little chart that offers 
an integration of a lot of the main theorists uh, who, who offer models of human development. Um, and the, the little model I use is simplicity, complexity, perplexity, and harmony. And, uh, and what, when a lot of people think about stages, they think um, it's kind of like four rooms in a house. You move from the living room to the kitchen, to the dining room, to the you know, den or something like that. You leave one room and go into another. But I propose that we think about stages more like rings on a tree that we start with this inner ring and then a new ring forms that emerges from that inner ring, but includes it, but goes beyond it. So it includes what went before and, and now expands into new territory. So we keep simplicity with us, but then we expand upon it into complexity. And there we learn some new skills. And then when, when that stage doesn't work for us anymore, we're ready for something more. We build upon that and we add perplexity. And perplexity is a bigger world and asks bigger questions. And then when we grow beyond that into the stage of harmony, and then I suggest that harmony becomes our new simplicity and that process continues. So that has been a helpful way for me to think about, uh, about growth. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I think one of the things that helps us do is understand people are where they are. It's not, it's not a sin to be in simplicity. Yeah. Um, it's not a sin to grow beyond simplicity. Uh, and uh, so people can be where they are, and they're, but they also have permission to grow. And this is one of our struggles, not just in Christianity, in each religion, that what tends to happen is people will put a ceiling on how much you're allowed to grow in this community. You can't, you can't anything that goes beyond what we allow, we do not consider growth. <laughs> mm, yeah. Uh, does an example come to mind for you of like your own life of like how you've journeyed through that, you know, simplicity, complexity, you know, so on and so forth? Sure, sure. Well, actually, I maybe could use an example from the Bible. Like, yeah, we, we start in the Bible with naked hunter gatherers in the garden, who have no religion, they have no holy day, they have no temple, the earth and life itself is holy, and they walk with God, and they're naked and not ashamed, right? And, and that's fine that like they have no rules except don't eat of that tree. So it's this very simple uh, primal life. And then along comes Abraham and you have the patriarchs. And what's interesting is when you get the patriarchs, they're authority figures. Um, and each patriarch is in a sense, a patriarch for his time. And then comes this guy named Moses and Moses says, guess what? I've got a group of laws here. And these laws are not just for my time. These laws should go on after I'm gone. So now we move from patriarchs to law. And you would think, well, now we're finally at the final destination. And then the prophets come along and the prophets say, you can obey all those laws and still be an unjust person. Um, in fact, God is a little bit sick of all your law keeping because you don't pay attention to compassion and mercy and kindness. And so then the prophets take it. And then Jesus comes along and Jesus says, hey, there's something even bigger. And at each stage, you don't say the other stage was evil. You just say that was the stage we were ready for. And now that stage has worked on us and made us ready for the next stage and so on. That, that to me is one way we see it even just sort of unfolding like rings in a tree in the Bible itself. 
Yeah. You you mentioned several other tools in that how section. Um, is there another one that has helped you recently or, or stands out? Well, um, you know, the, the, um, all of those tools, obviously I, I have found really yeah. important, but the, the one I just mentioned when I talked about Andy Dillard saying there is no away mm-hmm. is um, in, in chapter 25, I call it reconsecrate everything. And mm-hmm. what this is requiring me to do is to, to just keep realizing I can write somebody off. I can say I disagree with somebody, I, but they're still in the world. They're still my neighbor. Yeah. I have to come to terms with them. And so that's something that I I'm finding is challenging me to grow bigger. I'm not done when I just say I disagree <laughs> with somebody there. Uh, there's more to, to learn and grow with. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, w- one of the things that you, you talk about towards the book or towards the end of the book is you talk about, and, and you've, you've mentioned it or alluded to it in here as well is how we mix humanity and religion as well, our humanity yeah. and Christianity. Um, yeah. And I would just love uh, your thoughts on how, how do you see those things mix, mixing together? How do they work together? How do they play together? How do they differ yeah. from each other? So on and so forth. Really good question. It reminds me of, uh, to answer that question, I think of a quote from a brilliant British missiologist who spent most of his life in India named Leslie Newbegin. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he was a man, but his name was Leslie. And Newbegin made this statement. He said, the greatest heresy in the history of monotheism. So now he's talking about Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. The greatest heresy in the history of monotheism is a misunderstanding of election. Election is the idea that God chooses people. He said, and here is the heresy the idea that God chooses people for blessing, for privilege, rather than service. And so Newbegin is saying that if you think God chooses some people so that he can bless them to the exclusion of everybody else, he says that leads to horror. It leads to criminality. It leads to catastrophe. And then he takes you back in the Bible to Genesis 12, where the calling of Abram happens. And he notices what actually happens in the story. God says, Abram, I will bless you. I will make you a great nation. And through you, all the nations of the world shall be blessed. So he doesn't say, I'm blessing you, and I'm going to damn all those other people. Um, I'm blessing you, and to hell with all those other people. I'm blessing you so that you can become a blessing to all the people of the world. I'm not blessing you to the exclusion of other people. I'm blessing you to bring benefit to other people. And uh, this to me is part of why a lot of people want to leave Christianity is because they're coming to sense how deeply connected we are with everyone in the world. And, and not only all other people, but we're connected with the birds of the air and the flowers of the field and the bees of the hive and the fish of the sea. And, and we're all in this together. And our job is to be a blessing to everybody. Uh, and, and I think, uh, I think one of the things that's happened to me in the course of my life as a Christian through all of my doubts and mistakes and all the rest 
is I've come to realize that what I think God and life were burning out of me was that heresy that uh, Leslie Newbigin talked about, the, the, an idea that was deeply ingrained in me from my Christian upbringing, which is that God is trying to find the right people to bless so that everybody else can be left out and dabbed and excluded. Well, I got one other thing I want to ask you about, but is there anything top of mind that we haven't covered uh, that is just top of mind for you that you want to make sure that we talk about? The only thing is just to say how good it is to be with you and what great questions oh. you ask and what a <laughs> pleasure it is to talk to you. And sincerely, how grateful I am for you and other podcasters like you who are creating space for these important conversations to happen. Oh. So that's all I sincerely, I, I want to thank you. Thank you. Um, the, the last thing that I wanted to ask you about, and again, you talk, you talk about this in the book is, um, you know, you, you talk about, you know, a, as a pastor, you know, as you are going through, um, you know, you could call it the deconstruction process or, or just even, even going further into your, to your faith as well. And you're discovering these, yeah. um, new beliefs or this new way of following Jesus. Um, and you are still leading people as well. Yeah. Yeah. as well can you can you t and i'm sure you know if if you if you're a leader in the church you go through that at some point yes. and yes. i would just love your thoughts on uh how have you learned to navigate that well yeah well uh if if the 66 year old me could go back to the 23 year old <laughs> me because i really began in church leadership when i was 23 you know um, if, if the 66 year old me could go back to the 23 year old me, I would pull myself aside and I would say, first thing I'd say is, look, you are a human being and you have to go through the processes of maturity. And some of this is going to happen through experience and through making mistakes and through hurting people and through being hurt by people. Because I was, I, I was given, I know I was taught this, but I also have to say, I latched onto it. This idea that if I could just obey God and the Bible well enough, I would get a shortcut around growing up. <laughs> I would get success without pain, right? Yeah. Um, so the first thing I say is you're a human being and God cannot give you a shortcut. God would be evil to give you a shortcut around that because that would be like giving somebody the answers to the test without them ever actually having to learn the concepts. God would be complicit in you being a cheater if that were to happen. Um, and then I would say to myself, um, listen, you are a Christian and Christians grow. And just because you're a pastor or a Christian leader, don't think you have to have all the answers. One of the gifts you'll give your congregation is letting them watch you grow and share your honest experiences of growth. Uh, someone said to me once, Caleb, that there's something better than a model of perfection. And that's a model of growth because we're all, we, we never reach perfection in one step. It's always about moving toward maturity. And then maybe the last thing I'd say yeah. is a quote that I learned from Richard Rohr, who says the steps toward maturity are necessarily immature. And I would say to myself, you're always going to be immature and you're, and, and you're never going to be fully mature. It's you're always growing. And wherever you are, the, the, here's how Paul says it. He yeah. says, we're transformed from glory to glory, not from squalor to glory or shame to glory, but the glory of a little child learning to crawl is glorious. 
And the glory of a child learning to walk is glorious. And the glory of a child learning to run. And it's all glorious if we can see it that way. That's, I hope, the pep talk I could give to myself. And, and yeah. if that helps anybody else, I'm, I'm happy. Oh, that's great. Well, Brian, I know that people are going to want to, you know, pick up your latest book, Do I Stay Christian? And keep up with you. Where's the best places for people to go to do all those things? Well, if they just look up, Do I Stay Christian? You can buy it. You'll be able to buy it anywhere. It's uh, it's available for pre-order now. And very soon, it's it'll be in stores in just a matter of days. So I'd encourage people to pick it up. Um, if they want to learn more about me, it's just my name, Brian McLaren, M-C-L-A-R-E-N dot net. And that all the connections to my social media and books and all that are, are, are there. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. And thank you for doing the work. Thanks. Great to be in this with you, Caleb. I think coming out of that conversation with Brian, there's a couple of different things that it got me thinking about. I think the first one is this is what we were talking about in there about um, about uh, just the label of Christian and realizing that that can mean so many different things. In fact, I uh, you know I, I typically don't like uh, referring to myself as a Christian. It may it may seem semantics. Uh, to people, but I typically like referring to myself as a follower of Jesus, just because Christian seems to be uh, so, so many things, and and it might just be semantics um, to you, but it isn't to me. And so I think just realizing the the reckoning that is between um, you know the difference between Christians and then also um, the church and Jesus as well and just realizing that um that jesus is far far different and it's just one of the very um perplexing things about faith from time to time is that you know the church is uh is the body of christ and is meant to be the reflection of jesus's love and you know i think that's why it's so important not to look at a particular person for the center of our faith or even to look at a particular church but just realizing that maybe maybe when Jesus was saying that he meant the whole church and not a specific one not just a couple but the whole church that the whole reflection and in fact he says this you know our um, it's through our unity it's through our unity and through our love of one another that people will see him and that people will know that we are from Jesus. And so that's one of the things that got me thinking about. I think the other thing that got me thinking is just what we were talking about towards the end there about growth. And, you know, for, for most, if not all of us, we go through a period to where, um, we, we change our beliefs and, you know, and I'm not even necessarily talking about our our belief or faith in Jesus. If if you are a follower of Jesus or you know a Christian, um, but we learn new things and we learn how uh, faith is different, or we learn what it means to be um, to follow the way of Jesus, and it and it's different than that. And we encounter um, things and beliefs fall away that we no longer um, believe anymore. And I think 
one of the things that I've learned is um, is just trying to include people in on that process, which is one of the things that the Learner's Corner does. Um, it's one of the things that I'm trying to do with the Learner's Corner. You know, if you go back to the very beginning of um, of this podcast all the way to, to episode one and you listened to, um, you know, this episode, which is, uh, you know, in somewhere in the 290s, um, I'm a very different person than I was, you know, the the five plus years ago that this podcast came out and and that could be shocking uh to people but i think that's part of just including people in on the process of your growth and of of learning and 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 all of that which is part of what we want to do here on the learner's corner and so if there's uh something that you're interested in learning more about or a particular area that you're interested in in growing in um, I would love to hear from you and maybe we can make that happen here on the podcast of whether that be a, a guest recommendation or a topic that you're interested in learning more about. The best way to reach out to me is learnerscornerpodcast at gmail.com and would love to hear from you in regards to any of those things or just some of the things that you're interested or excited about learning in as well. And if you haven't left a rating or wrote a review on uh you know, on any of your podcast players, whether that be, you know, Spotify or um, Apple podcast or Google or whatever that is, that really does help spread the word. And that would mean a lot. It doesn't take uh, longer than about 60 seconds to do that. And yeah, I think that's all that I have for today. My name, actually, I almost forgot. I do want to give uh, a couple of quick shout outs and thank yous to Sam Massey for providing the music for this podcast. Thank you to Brian for coming back on the podcast. Thank you for listening all the way to the end of the episode. My name is Caleb Mason, and until next time, keep learning and keep growing.